Today's scripture lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Now there are various varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Two thousand and seven was the hardest year of mine and your Leanne's life. Our middle son was born that year, and he wasn't ready. He needed a couple more weeks before he hatched, but but here he came. And so he was born right here at Shelby Baptist, and pretty much immediately hopped in a little ambulance ride and went to Children's, where he spent a couple of weeks uh, letting his lungs finish to grow and. Uh, and as you can imagine, we were pretty stressed and exhausted about that. And so he got home and he was two or three weeks old and we took a couple of weeks and then we decided we're going to go down to the beach, you know, for some R&R. And, and then that turned into another trip to the hospital. And, and because the tiny little hospital in Foley doesn't have, you know, like a pediatric wing, one of the parents has to sit with the kid. So we, a three-day weekend turned into a two-week-long vacation to the hospital in Foley. And so we were pretty exhausted. But to make it more difficult, our house was for sale. And we lived in Montevallo, and, and we had some equity in the house. So we thought, well, we're going to sell it. We're going to move. We're going to you know, upsize just a little bit, that kind of deal. And we, we had a contract on the house. And because we didn't know any better, we moved out the, like two days before closing. And uh, so that, you know, it would all be nice and done. So that when closing happened, you all know the rest of the story. The day of closing, we got the phone call, well, it's going to have to be tomorrow, and then that became tomorrow, and then that became next week, and then that became never, and so, of course, by that point, we were already into two mortgages with a kid that was constantly sick, and then we got the bill from Children's Hospital, and I remember the day I looked at it thinking, well, we're going to have to take him back, Leanne, like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what they want me to do with this thing, you know, it was the kind of number that you look at and you go, well... <laughs> Yeah, something is going to have to happen. Um, I remember several times, and if you saw my silly video on on Facebook Friday with the toboggan that looked like a deer, I can't believe I wore that. Anyway, it was cold. It was a beautiful day for a hike, though. If you saw my video, 
you heard a little bit of it. There were several moments during that year where I had some pretty hard conversations with God. I, I felt like this was not an abundant life, right? And I was hanging on to that promise that Jesus made, that he came, that we would have life to the full, right? And if I was honest with you, I might even say that I uh, felt like it might have been owed to me just a little bit. I mean, let's be honest. I quit a career in engineering so that I could go be in ministry, right? Like God owed me something, at least, maybe a little bit. Obviously, that's ridiculous for me to say, but it was a really rough time. And as I was reflecting over the last couple of years at this church, but all churches since 2020, I mean, it feels like it's just been one thing after the other with pandemic and then disaffiliations. And of course, we're selling Restore. I mean, there, there are so many things that I felt like I wanted to kick off January 24 with some messages about what an abundant life looks like. And uh, I want to introduce you all to a book that you may or may not have seen before. This is Flourish by Martin Seligman. Martin Seligman is the father of positive psychology. He was a young psychologist in the early 1980s, and he realized that psychology was a young science, you know, compared to engineering that's as old as the pyramids. Psychology is about 150 or 200 year old science. And he realized that all psychology was really studying, at least in the 70s and 80s, was abnormalities, right? It was, it was depression, it was schizophrenia, it was, it was those kinds of things, mental illness. And he asked, well, what if instead we pointed the science of psychology at healthy people and discovered what goes into an abundant life, what goes into a life of flourishing? He is a um, Ivy League professor, so I don't, you know, if you want, if you love reading this kind of stuff, read it, but it's a heady book, but it's an amazing book as well. And we're going to steal some of their research in our outline for this month's sermon series. And the lesson today is on finding meaning in our life. So I want to tell you a story about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a Jewish rabbi shortly after the lifespan of Jesus. So we're talking about, I think he was born around 50 AD and died around 130 AD. So in the first and second century, right as the early church has taken off. And if you ever read any Jewish writings, Rabbi Akiva pops up a lot. So one day he was deep in prayer and he was reading the Psalms as he was praying and he was walking around town reading the Psalms. And, and one of the ways that especially our Jewish brothers and sisters pray is, is they'll repeat a, a verse of scripture over and over, you know, and put their head down and close their eyes sometimes. And he was so deep in prayer that he didn't realize he ran like right into the wall of a Roman garrison. And the two soldiers up on top of the wall yelled down at him and said, who are you and what are you doing here? And he paused for a minute and he looked back up and he said, uh, how much do they pay you? And the soldiers were perplexed, obviously, and one of them yelled back down, well, well, they, they pay us one denarius, that's a day's wages. And he said, I'll double it for you to come to my house every morning and ask me that same question. Who are you and what are you doing here? Whatever it is that gets you up in the morning, Whatever it is that brought you to church today, 
Whatever the motivation is that takes you to work or to school or wherever you go and whatever you do and however you spend your time, that's the question today. The research that Martin Seligman and them found is that those who have a reason for getting out of bed in the morning that is bigger than themselves, right? This is not a Christian book. It's it's an academic book, but the the reflections, I mean, the uh, similarities between what you would expect Jesus to say and what you might find in the Bible are absolutely overwhelming. Those that have a reason for being that is outside themselves, that is bigger than themselves, have much, much happier lives. And so I thought today we might spend just a minute, I don't, I hate to be self-helpy and I don't want to be, you know, prosperity gospel or anything like that, but I do want to take just a minute reflecting on what it is that we find our purpose to be and how we go about finding our purpose. I'm going to assume that a lot of you have done a lot of reflection on this kind of thing already, right? What is my, what is the dent that I'm supposed to make in the world? What is the reason God has put me here. But in case you haven't, I just want to share with you one little tool that's been helpful for me. And it's this awesome Venn diagram here. So uh, the top circle, I want to start with that, is I want to say exactly what Scripture said to us, and that is, what are God's gifts that God has given you? Maybe, maybe you're a great teacher. Maybe you're an administrator. Maybe you love to preach. Maybe you have other gifts for ministry, but if, if you'll allow me, let me expand that just a little bit to include just about everything that you could imagine in your life that you're not directly in control of. So where were you born? Who's your family? What are your genetics? And then some things that you have a little control of but maybe have already passed, like your education and your experience. The gifts and values that you bring to this world that God has given you, that you have that others don't have, at least not in the exact same, you know, arrangement of skill sets. Um, There are some people in here who are accountants and love that stuff, and that is absolutely not me. I would rather preach a hundred sermons than to balance one checkbook. I mean, it's, and so we have people in this church that love balancing checkbooks. You know that? And if we asked them to preach, they would probably leave. And then you would probably leave if we made them preach. The point is, God has given the gifts and talents to his church that we need to do ministry that we need to function as a church, and that we need to make God's kingdom known in the community, right? Which brings me to my next one, and that is what are the needs of the community? I did just a little bit of research this week, and of course I didn't bring the numbers, but something like 20 or 30% of students in Alabaster City school systems are eligible for free and reduced meal programs. That's a need. Um, the, I just talked about my son being born at Shelby Baptist, that's shutting down. That's going to create a need. There are all kinds of needs in this community that are just waiting on someone to step in and fill those needs. I looked at some of the demographic data and, and looking at how our, there were three groups. One of the groups that, that stood out, the three highest segments of our population, one was called uh, boomers and boomerangs, which is 
which is people probably a little bit younger than my parents' age or maybe my parents' age and their children that have gone off to college or wherever and now have come back. There is a large population of people in our community with multi-generational homes, which to me opens up all kinds of opportunities. And I didn't know that until I had done that research this week. Think of the ministries that a church that cared about meeting people who are in their 60s and 70s but had children in their maybe 30s and 40s and maybe some of them also have children that are elementary or teenage. Think about the ministries that a church could do there. Every fall, the United Meth every United Methodist Church elects leaders, and we have a charge conference, and we did that this year in November, and the district superintendent came here, and, and we had a meeting right in this room, and we voted on all of our leaders. Of course, before that moment happened, we had a lot of recruiting to do, and we had a lot of conversations with leaders. And some of them, I absolutely love this. I do. This is not sarcasm. Some of them told me no. And then later came back and said yes. And some of them told me no and stuck with no, because sometimes you just need a break. The ones that came back and said yes, I feel like, you know what? The Holy Spirit would not leave them alone. I asked them, they said no, and then they went home and could not sleep for a week. And so then when I went back and asked them again, it was a layup, right? It was easy. So what I want to do during worship right here, because I believe this is an act of worship and it is incredibly important for our church, is to consecrate the leaders right now. And some of you know that this is coming and the rest of you, I apologize, not really. If you are on any of our administrative committees, would you just stand up? So SPRC, finance, trustees, uh, church council. Now, if you teach Sunday school or Wednesday night Bible study or something like that, a small group, would you stand up? If you volunteer with the youth or children's ministry, would you stand up? If you're a usher or a greeter or in hospitality or on the worship committee, what am I missing? Musicians. Say again? Musician, choir, yes, thank you. Musicians, would you stand up? Who have I met? Tech people, Stephen, you guys stand up. Yeah. <laughs> guys, I want to I go through and have a little bit of a liturgy here for y'all, and I just want to also say thank you, but we'll say thank you afterwards. So hear this. Dear friends, you have been called by God and chosen by the people of God for leadership in the church. This ministry is a blessing and a serious responsibility. It recognizes your special gifts and calls you to work among us and for us. We thank you for accepting your obligation and challenge you to offer your best to the Lord, to this people, and to our ministry in the world. Live a life in Christ and make him known in your witness and your work. Do you this day acknowledge yourself as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? I do. Will you devote yourself to the service of God in the world? I will. Will you so live that you enable the church to be a people of love and peace? I will. Will you do all in your power to be responsible to the task for which you have been chosen? I will. Thank you. And congregation, this is your part now. I'm going to turn this way. Congregation, rejoice that God provides laborers for the vineyards. Will you do all you can 
to assist and encourage them in the responsibilities to which they have been called, giving them your cooperation, your counsel, and your prayers. We will. Thank you, friends. We, we genuinely are thank you, thankful that you have agreed to give your prayers, presence, gift, service, and witness, but also your time and your blood and your sweat and your tears. We recognize that that means afternoons away from family, like this afternoon. We recognize that that means you'll probably be here early on Sunday morning to go around and unlock doors and make sure the thermostats are set. We recognize what that takes away from other parts of your life, and we just want to say thank you. And then that brings me to the third part of that Venn diagram, and I hope that this is the case with you, that you find your purpose somewhere in your joy. And what I really believe and what the, the science shows is that if you are working in the gifts that you've been given and doing it for something bigger than yourself, and if you are meeting the needs of someone else in the community perhaps, then you likely will find your joy. I told a story in the early service about how my folks used to own a building supply. And when I was really young, you know, 11, 12, 13, somewhere along in there, they would uh, send me to go count the quarters out of the Coke machine and roll them. And friends, that was torture worse than death. It was miserable. I was not a 12-year-old who did well sitting still for long periods of time. I certainly did not enjoy counting coins or probably anything for that matter. I wanted to be out back driving the forklift, right? I wanted to be in the back where the people that I thought were some of the coolest grown-ups on the planet, you know, worked in the warehouse at, at the uh, building supply, and that's where I wanted to be. And I realize now why I wasn't there more often, at least when I was 12, and that's because I was in the way. And a great place to send a 12-year-old who's in the way is to count quarters out of the Coke machine. I say that to say it certainly was not in my joy. In my, that part of the, you know, my work was not in my sphere of joy. But I would encourage you that when you find that little part of your life where you're making a difference, where you're making a dent in the world, where you're making the community a better place, and you're doing it with gifts that seem to have come from outside yourself, things that you may or may not have had a whole lot of control over, or maybe, maybe you had control over at one point, like education and experience, but now it's just in you and it's part of who you are. And then you find yourself happy and time flies by because you don't even look at the, the clock because you, you realize like you're doing what you love. I hope that at that moment you will have found your your purpose. And then there's one more. There's one more thing to mention in finding your meaning, and it's outside the Venn diagram. It's how do we reconcile suffering and pain and hurt in our lives? Going back to me being angry at God, saying this doesn't feel like abundant life, how do we find meaning in that? And I want to introduce you to one more book. The last book, I would give you a pass if you chose not to read, but this book you have to read. This is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. If you do one of those top 100 English-speaking books of the last 100 years, that one's going to be on the list every time, I promise. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who was taken into the concentration camps during World War II. 
And because of his background in psychology and understanding the way people's minds worked, he used his experience at Auschwitz, and he was at two other concentration camps, to study what gives people reason to keep going. What makes someone in the absolute worst conditions in human history still get up and still be kind and still find reasons to keep going in life? This is an abs- it's a short book, too. It's one that everyone has to read. Um, I pulled a couple of quotes, and I, I just wanted to read them to you here. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offered sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And then about two pages later, he says this, the way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. Suffering is not without meaning. If you approach suffering with dignity, if you choose to take on your suffering intentionally, as Jesus said, take up your cross. If you want to be great, become the least, right? Jesus This should be no surprise to Christians, folks. Jesus called us in order to find abundant life to seek the lowest, to become least at the table, to find our cross and pick it up and carry it willingly, to seek it out even and carry it willingly, and to do so with dignity and purpose and meaning. Because in that suffering, there is meaning all on its own. I'll share a very quick story that, that illustrates this for me really well. A very close friend of mine about a year and a half ago died. He was in his 90s. He's the kind of person that uh, I wish I had lived a life like him. He, he spent a whole career in the Air Force. He flew B-52s or whatever those biggest bombers are, you know, that are like enormous. He, he flew in Vietnam. He flew, I think, in Korea also. And then the last 19 years that his wife was still alive, they didn't even live in a house. They lived in an RV, and they drove everywhere that there's pavement in North America. They went to Canada, Alaska, all out west, up northeast, down to Mexico, anywhere you could drive an RV. They took it for almost 20 years until, and he told me, you know, after they had been everywhere, Then they started just making a triangle between their kids' homes, which one was in Texas and one was in North Carolina, and then the other one's here in Birmingham. And so they would just rotate all year long. His heart started to give out, and it was one of those situations where his legs started to swell really badly. He was super lethargic, and and they saw it coming on, right? And then it really sped up the last few days, and I went to see him several times over at St. Vincent. And the last day I was in the hospital with him, we had one of those conversations that nobody ever wants to have with anybody ever. Um, But we just spoke really directly about death and suffering. And the thing that I was able to say that encouraged him, and this was just me just pulling something out of the bag that I was hoping would, would land, is I told him, like, 
like Joe, first of all, I, I believe that we're going to see each other again, and so I'm hanging on to that promise. But you are not someone who is afraid easily. You have flown into really dangerous situations. You have done some really scary things. And I wish I could walk alongside you on this journey that you have, but no one can. And this is something that only you can face. And all I can tell you is muster up all the courage and dignity that you can to face it. And y'all, his, his whole demeanor changed. It's like he took it on. And, and just a couple of days later, he passed. And um, I hope that I'm able to go with as much dignity and as much strength and courage as he did because that was a gift to his family. And it's a gift to people like me that can realize that even in the worst of human circumstances, there are those who will face those things with dignity and courage and faith. And that, I think, gives meaning. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before we get into the liturgy, I want to just point out a few things that are obvious but are worth pointing out. Jesus knew what was coming to him the next day. Jesus also knew that one of his friends was going to betray him and another one of his friends was going to absolutely deny knowing him and that virtually all of his friends were going to disappear right? Save for just a couple, the women and John. I would argue that Jesus knew the suffering that was coming, and he faced the Last Supper um, with so much faith and dignity and courage, and, and more so than that, gave us something as a model for how we might do the same and how we might remember what it means to take up our own cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have given us all kinds of different gifts, that some in here are accountants and some in here are speakers. We thank you for those laborers that said yes to serve in this vineyard for 2024 and ask blessings on them and their home. We ask that their service not be a burden to them, but be something that is instead life-giving to them. And we ask, God, that you would point us all in the direction of our purposes and our reasons for being and our meanings, the dent that you would have us to make here in the world and those that you would have us to impact the most. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.